quintessential podcast NCAA playoff edition. We welcome in Dave Cottle, former coach at uh, the high school level, extremely successful at the college level and then at the pro level. Uh, but the reason, Dave, that uh, we're talking today is, is the NCAA selection was last week. And I, I want to get some of your thoughts as a both as a college coach and somebody who served on uh, the committee. Uh, take us through the process for selection into the NCAA tournament. How does it start? Like you, you get you volunteer for this committee or, or do you get voted on it? How, how's that start? Yeah, you have to be nominated and then you have to be voted on. They usually like to replace a coach from a conference and replace it with somebody else in the conference, like the ACC when Maryland was in it. Uh, they, they nominated their coaches to go forward because they wanted representation on the committee. Some conferences don't recommend people, but like the ACC, the Big Ten and all of them, they wound up recommending them. So you have to be recommended first by your league in order to serve. Is this a process that starts at the beginning of the season or, or does it kick in uh, towards the end of the tail end of the year? Oh, it's, it's a multi-year process. You know, they nominate you and when, when the committee member, you know, each of them have terms. When a committee member who's a coach, if you would, his term is up, he has to be replaced. And that's when the nominations, you know, you, you, you wind up being nominated by your league to replace somebody whose term is over. Okay. So it's a five member uh, committee, two coaches and administrators. When does the, the 2022 process begin, let's say? Well, they'll know who's coming off the committee right now uh, in a year in advance. And that's when the leagues start to recommend. So I, I don't know the terms of anybody on the committee right now, but if there was a coach who, uh, say Joe Bresci, for example, who's on it right now, Joe's in his third year and his term was a three-year term. Uh, then sometimes there are two-year terms. You replace somebody who resigned from coaching or moved to administration. The year before, you'll be nominated, and then they'll make it. The committee itself will then make, along with the NCA, will then make a selection of who's going to replace them. So, so the committee, so the committee rotates. In terms of this year's process, picking the, the, this uh, 18-team uh, group, actually they pick eight, uh, 10, 10 are automatic qualifiers. When does the, this year's process start in terms of uh, getting together over Zooms, looking at data? Yeah, the last years, you know, I, you know, I haven't coached college since 2011, so it may have changed. But I will say this is that uh, you put together that committee, the you know, which you know is a group of coaches. I think 10 or 12 coaches that start to put together with five or six weeks gone into the season, they start to send a, every two weeks or weekly poll of the, the gentlemen that were chosen to be that auxiliary committee. They start to put a poll down, but you don't start getting calls to two weeks. Uh, you don't start sitting on calls till two weeks before the end of the season. Donna Woodruff, uh, who was in charge, uh, talked about uh, using the RAC, that's the regional advisory committees uh, from across the country. I believe there are 10 of them. Is that a smokescreen? Is that legit? Like what, what, what role do, do, do the RAC advisors play in all of this? Well, it, it depends well, on who you select to be the coaches, you know, and, I, and Lord knows, I, I think the world of this man every day, I, every year when we used to be on a committee and, and there was, you know, used to see Roy Simmons' votes, you know, he'd vote Syracuse one and two and three. 
you know, some guys took it very seriously. Other guys didn't take it as seriously. Roy knew he was going to be in the top three, no matter what he did. And so, you know, it depends on the commitment level from the coaches. Now you've got, you know, coaches that are younger and, and more involved in it. But, you know, to me, the auxiliary committee uh, can get you started on course, but it won't get you home because you can use it as a little bit of camouflage if you like, you know, well, we, we took recommendations from the, the regional committee. Well, you know, the bottom line is the committee makes the decisions. They can, they can look at it and if they agree with it, they'll go in the same direction. And if they don't agree with it, they'll go in another direction. To go back. Yeah. And I, I guess honesty there would be, be the most critical thing. And, and uh, I, coaches are asked to stay in their lane in the regional uh, advisory committees, correct? They're not really talking about out-of-conference foes as much as they're talking about teams in their league. Is that right? Well, not every member, at least in the past, not every member of the committee sits on those calls. It's the chair of the committee that sits on the calls with the racks. So like the guys that are coaching right now, we never got on those rack calls. You know, we'd see the results of the polls, but we weren't participating in the call. It was the NCA rep and the chair that talked to Let's get to the criteria. Is the criteria clearly defined? Is, is, does that need to be remedied? Is it okay? Uh, should it be flexible? What's your opinion on the current criteria that is used? Well, uh, you know, we had a problem in one of the years that we did it that the RPI did not equal out to the play on the field. And the tournament for years had had gotten one Midwestern team into the tournament. And when we looked at it right now, at the time, the RPI came out, there were three Midwestern teams that were going to make the tournament, all that were hosting in the top six. And that didn't equal out to what we saw in the field. So we had, you know, a tremendous committee chair at the time who was a former lacrosse coach, Bob Scalise. And with our NCA rep, we made a call to the to the NCA. What the NCA tries to do in all different sports is try to have similar criteria for choosing their champions. Yeah. yeah. RPI is much more accurate in baseball and softball because of all the different uh, games that are played than it is from lacrosse. So we got on a call and the head of the RPI expert for the NCA basically told us that RPI is flawed when it comes to men's lacrosse. It's not a large enough sampling and you have to be careful using it. And as it goes, now it allowed, we always felt like we could pick and choose some of the criteria, which probably caused a lot of people problems down the road. You go, one year it was used on, on RPI, and another year it was significant wins and losses, and another year, but there's enough criteria that you could kind of come up with a representative field of what happened on the lacrosse field. And so what we did that year is once they told us that the RPI was flawed, uh, then we diminished the meaning of the RPI and got into the body of work of each team, who they played, what was what the scores, just the idea. What we, you know, it's always been a win in March is the same as a win in May. But we also included trending in our when we were studying teams, like a team that maybe won six in a row at the end of the year, or a team that lost five in a row. So you can't diminish the wins of the team that lost five in a row. But you can say that somebody's playing pretty good lacrosse at the end of the year. And I think if you looked at the NCAA basketball tournament, Texas A&M, 
was the one that everybody, because they won eight in a row and won the SEC championship or, or lost in the finals, whatever it was, but they were playing great basketball at the end of the year. So it happens in all sports. To me, it's not a recency as more as it's a trend that maybe they, uh, a new player got into the starting lineup. They made an adjustment. So I think you have to look at trends on teams. If the RPI is flawed, why are we still using it more than a decade later? Great question. I think the RPI is a tool. It wasn't meant to be the only tool. And so what happens is, depending on your committee chairs and depending on the experience of the committee itself, each committee, and it has caused frustration over the years, each committee uses RPI to what they believe. And that's been frustration. You know, others say, well, just do it by the RPI. And, uh, and then what, but what happens is if you just do it by the RPI, sometimes you have an anomaly. Like this year, it looks to be, I'm not saying teams didn't deserve to be in. You had so many teams with, the, the Ivy League did a tremendous job in that conference game. They had so many teams with great records. And then, uh, and so it strengthened their strength of schedule and it strengthened their RPI. And I don't think people really realize what RPI is to begin with. You know, it's your record, your one loss record. It's your opponent's one loss record, and it's your opponent's opponent's one loss record. So that it, RPI in a, is in a factor is a strength of schedule component also, but it's strength of schedule. So let's say let's say Duke's ten and seven this year. I think they wound up being ten and seven or whatever. Ten and uh, eleven and six. I eleven think. and six, whatever their record is. Now you can beat a team, and we'll just pull out. Let's say uh, Mount Saint Mary's had a great year in their conference and they were 11 and two. Well, in RPI, it's your, your opponent's record. You'd get more points for beating an 11-2 team than you would beat an 11-16. And so there's the little bit of the flaws that comes with it. And now you add strength of schedule, which is really another component. And then where, where I don't think we've taken a, a good look at, and I think this was the major problem with the, with the tournament, is we take record versus the top five, record versus the top 10, record versus the top 15, record versus the top 20. Well, this year, there were two teams that were significantly better one loss record than everybody else. So why would a win versus three, four, and five count as the same as one and two? So when we were on the committee, we looked at it and said that we would have, I would have said as a committee member, to beat Maryland this year, and to beat Georgetown was a significant accomplishment. Those two were different. So I would have broken it down to one and two. So anybody who had a win over one and two, they deserve bonus points. Anybody who had a loss to, against one and two, they shouldn't be penalized for that. So then what you do is, okay, uh, that next batch of teams is what? Is there any difference between three and 14 or three and 12 in this year's tournament? Very little, right? That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. So just because a team was quote unquote three, they were the same as the team that was eight or 12. So that's what I, we would go into and say, okay, there was one year I remember there were six teams that were significantly better than everybody else. And so we would say record versus the top six, then it would be record versus the next group of teams. So I think you have to get into the teams and look at their body of work. And I think that's the only way you can do it. Now, what I haven't heard anybody say anything about, and you're, you're an expert on this tournament selection, everything like that. 
How do they choose the top five? Uh, yeah, we, we, we didn't. There were so many uh, other glaring things that we, we went right to the uh, the bubble question with Notre Dame and, and the question with uh, Virginia's placement. Uh, going back, well, you know, the let, Ivy me went let me finish my point there. So what they do is they use RPI to determine who the top five are. So it's another component used by RPI that's slightly flawed. The rating of the teams is done by strength of schedule and, and RPI. So you're using RPI like six different ways here. And we don't have a, a large enough mathematical sample to make it legitimate. You mentioned the RPI. The Ivy is obviously 39 and 10 out of league, 11 and one in non-conference games decided by one goal. Can margin of victory, should margin of victory uh, be factored in here? Should we be using some other power ratings in combination with the RPI to give us maybe a closer feel to, well, the gap isn't, if, if, if Duke beats Penn in overtime, if Syracuse beats Cornell in overtime, this all looks a little bit different. Uh, obviously wins are wins and losses are losses, but is there flexibility? Would, would you think the committee would ever consider using other analytics? Well, I think from what I heard right now, and I just talked to a division two coach who was on the uh, regional advisory committee, they were given a performance index. So I think there's probably been a move to give another metric and everything. The, the RPI was, was first put in to help, to try to get everybody on the same page to make a decision. It wasn't used, it wasn't put in to be the sole determination of the NCAA. And that's where the humans start to play a big role. What the chair believes, what the member of the committees believe and everything like that. We were, I've always been fortunate. I've had former lacrosse coaches that were ADs being the head of committees. John Hine, when John used to be, and, and Bob Scalise and some other guys like that, that had pretty, were pretty experienced. But, you know, the problem is there's so much that's subjective in this process. We don't spend a lot of time talking about what's non-subjective uh, in the tournament selection. The human element. Uh, there's two coaches on this committee, Greg Raymond of Hobart, Joe Bresci of North Carolina. And I feel for these guys. I, I, I know both extremely well and, and both have the highest integrity. And it seems like fans, they can't win. It's, 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 uh, they're either over supportive of, of their alliances or they're backstabbing their alliances. That's the public perception. What, what's, the re, <laughs> what's the reality when you're a coach on the committee? Now, is Hobart in the NCAA tournament? No, they're not. Okay. So Greg Raymond would have a bigger role in the selection of this tournament than Joe Bresci's because North Carolina was being considered. I can remember uh, being on the committee and I, I had to leave the room for two hours. I was not, I was not allowed to be in the room and the other guys worked and, you know, they, they put the, the seating, you know, the, the selection and the seating when it became with, it was, I didn't just sit out when it was Maryland. We sat out teams around Maryland because at the time Maryland was going to be a seven seed or whatever it is. Well, you're, you're, I can't talk about the five seed. I can't talk about the six seed. I can't talk about the eight seed because I'm competing with them. So the, the problem with coaches, you want coaches that see the top lacrosse, you know, the coach in the best leagues, but there is a problem that they have to move away. So I would say this, you know, being in that room with other coaches and everything like right now, the committee's three to two administrator over coaches. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, I, I think one of the things I would recommend as a former committee member, if, I, if having another coach uh, to take the spot of a guy who maybe can't participate in the conversation, 
having somebody else that you trust to be like an add-on guy that say, hey, we need another coach's perspective. Because it's not fair to Greg Raymond for it to be all his. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about seeding. So this group comes up, they come up with the top eight. Uh, they put that in the bracket. And, and then the only criteria, correct me if I'm wrong, are the limit on flights and that they want to avoid league rematches. Okay, I think we're, we're looking at a bracket with two rematches from the regular season. They're not league rematches. Right. Given those, given that criteria, uh, you don't, it's, it's not a one through 16 bracket. Okay. Uh, it, it sounded like when we, when we spoke earlier that you have an issue with, with the bracket not being a one through 16. Well, we were always told that we're going to seed one through eight and then geographically place nine through 16. And that's been consistent. That's what the committee that, you know, this year's committee was given. The problem is for me, in order to, to when it comes to seeding was fairness. So what we wanted to do, and we wound up doing it is we wound up supplying numbers from nine to 16. So we would be able to have an idea if we are penalizing a team that had a successful season by giving them giving them the if instead of giving them the ninth best team we were giving them the fourth or fifth best team so we wound up making sure I, that was one of the things that i really struggled with i i really struggle with penalizing a team that's had a tremendous season and so we see that even though we weren't allowed to we ge geographically place it uh you know in accordance to flights but we knew who was 16 or 18 and we knew who was nine, you know, and we wound up working it that way. So Virginia's unseated. They get slotted to travel to Brown, the winner to play the University of Maryland. Virginia's resume is, it was borderline. They were, they were on the bubble. Virginia being two-time champions and a, and, a, and a powerful and dangerous team, the, the thought process is, is that they're a, a major, uh, they're, they're one of the real contenders in this field. What was your opinion when you saw them bracketed so closely with Maryland? I'm going I'm to I'm kind of go around this a little bit. First of all, my, my, I, when we, I was at Loyola in 1999, we were the only undefeated team in the country. Uh, the second seeded team was U University of Virginia. As the number one seed, we got to play the winner of Princeton, Syracuse at Princeton. After you know, Princeton had won all the Princeton nine, won the last three championships. Yeah, and Syracuse had won the ones they had won. Yeah, yeah, they so, won every title in the nineties except yeah, uh, every title in the nineties. And we were on the road at one of them. Now, if we were good enough, we would have won the game. We weren't good enough. Syracuse wound up beating us. And go ahead. But when you looked at it, you Virginia wound up playing UMBC Delaware winner. You know, it was a significantly uh, harder seed for the one seed than it was the two. So I have personal issues here that I, I go out of my way to make sure that the team that was 14 and 0, I would make sure that they didn't get a, a situation like that. So to me, one of the major problems with the committee, and it's by the nature of the beast, is that you spend, if you're there 48 hours, you spend 40 hours on, on the selection of the teams, and then you spend about four hours on the seating of the teams. And I think the seating has a lot to do with how teams wind up succeeding in a tournament. Yeah. Now, so you wonder is, is what's at play here? Is, is it, uh, 
that, that there's no subjectivity toward, towards your seeding? Is it ignorance on the fact that Virginia has a very strong and dangerous team? Is it, yeah, I, I don't know what agendas are in play here, but it, it strikes me as, as, as being a, a, a big time miss. I, I, and I would say, I'd have to agree with you there. I thought, I, I, whether Notre Dame deserves to be in, and I think they were an outstanding team. I watched them a bunch of, who they should replace. I, I don't, I'm not going to get into that because I didn't see the numbers like that they were using. And, you know, we didn't, we, we just don't know. But the seeding deserves the same level of care as the selection of the teams. And by the nature of the time, it, it doesn't work that way. But there are plenty of criteria that we can use. You asked this question uh, a while ago is, there are plenty of criteria that you can use that have nothing to do, that have no subjectivity whatsoever. And, yeah, exactly. and they're written in there. You know, revolt, revolt, results versus common opponents. That's, that's pretty, head to head. You know, you, significant wins or losses. Eligibility and availability of players. You know, that's in the criteria. But I don't think I've ever seen a tournament team that deserved to be in that wasn't in because of injuries or availability of players. Have, has there ever been a case since you've been watching? No. And it's becoming it's a it's a factor with with this year's field, quite honestly. There's some teams who've who've uh, improved or or declined dramatically because of the availabilities of some key players. So yeah, the last thing about Virginia, if Virginia was an eight, I'm fine with it. But Virginia was unseated. So you had every opportunity to put them in an equitable spot. You, you, you know what I mean? That, that Them being not an eight should have allowed them to be put in an equitable spot. Exactly. Uh, last thing in terms of Notre Dame, you know, every year we have snubs, Dave. Uh, it's one or two, and they're, and they're highly qualified teams who basically mirror the last one or two teams selected, and, and it's really unfortunate. Uh, this year's Notre Dame team, though, strikes me as being a little di different by the way they played late in the season, by the, the their quality losses. They gave Maryland a great game, but they, they won six in a row. They made a lineup change, and they were a, a title contender. Uh, so it's a, a little different this year. What, what are your thoughts on the bubble's the bubble? I get it. and 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 But rarely have we, we, we ousted someone from the bubble who I thought had such a high end, high ceiling. Well, uh, and that, but if you look at the criteria that they used, and they were pretty, you know, my, my question is, I would do it two ways. Notre Dame didn't get in because they were 11, right? That was what everyone, we were told, right? Well, no, because at the end of the day, Harvard had better wins. Harvard beat Brown, Princeton, and BU. Uh, Notre Dame beat, was it Duke twice in North Carolina. And so Harvard gets more credit for beating Brown, who had a higher RPI than North Carolina. Well, I covered North Carolina hosting Brown, and the game wasn't close. North Carolina right. is a better right. lacrosse team than Brown, uh, right. but Notre Dame doesn't get get the credit for for that win that uh, Harvard does. Yeah, and that's it. That's and so, then so no, the, the the rationale that was presented makes makes complete sense. It it really does. Uh, it, they they were methodical. They were they were mathematical. Yeah, they they were more of a bean counting selection committee than they were of taking the non-subject of along with, you know, knowing, see, after having that conversation, our committee did with the RPI guy, I, I would, I diminish what the R, RPA is a starting point. It's not a finishing point. And I think this committee made it a finishing point. So at the uh, end of the day, what, what are some 
what are some fixes that you would like to see to this to this process? Well, the seating is a significant one. You've got to make sure the teams are seated properly. I, I think you, as, as a committee, when we, we, all right, so let's say we got to one through eight, all right, one through eight. So then what we would do is we would play devil's advocate. Why is two ahead of three? Well, two beat three head to head. So, so that's the criteria we're going to use all the way through. They said, yes. Well, five is, a, is behind four and they beat them head to head. So you have to make sure when you're doing the selection of the teams, one thing, but when you're doing the seeding, you have to be consistent all the way through. I think part of your problem with this tournament selection and, and, and the seeding is it wasn't consistent all the way through. Losses for non-league, non non-top 20 losses counted heavier, meant more to the teams that didn't get in than the teams that did get in. And so that's where I think you have to, you have to put more time into the seeding and be a little more consistent. One uh, complaint or, or idea I get a lot from fans, uh, especially on Twitter, is that the tournament needs, to, we can solve this all by expansion. Uh, right now, what are there, 70 or 72 Division One men's teams? We have 18 in this tournament. We're at 24%, which it's the highest number in, I, I believe, in Division One sports. We're already over where we should be by NCAA standards. Uh, expansion is not the solution? Well, I think we need a study by the NCAA on when does RPI become a valid tool for uh, amount of games? Because once we can figure that out, then if, if, if it's valid at 20 or it's valid at 22 or it's valid at 12, we need to figure that out if we're going to use it to be such a tool to choose our and yeah. I, I think that's something that they, the NCA should help the committee with. And we, yeah, we, we've got a big variance in the amount of games that will play. Notre Dame and Harvard only played 12. I believe Duke played 16 or 17. That's a 30% difference. Uh, as, as we go to these first round games, we've we got some playing games tomorrow on Wednesday. We're recording this on Tuesday. Uh, what's, 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 is, it, is home field advantage? Uh, do, you, do you think it's a big deal in this first round? I don't think it's as, as big a deal in the first round. It is it you're, you're talking about the play-in round? Uh, no, no, the, the first round, the round okay. of 16. Yeah, well, if teams are playing in to go to there, it's an advantage to be Huge, at home. huge. Yeah. The, the play-in winners have, have the, the toughest road you could ever imagine. Not, right. not only are they playing an extremely talented team, but they're doing it on short rest on a, on a, on a, on a weird week after playing in their conference tournament the prior week. Well, you know, and th th this gets to be uh, another one of my pet peeves in the NCAA tournament is I always felt the number one seed could have the extra day of rest and play on Saturday rather than play on Sunday. And because why should they have, they're, they're the number one seed, they should gain, they should play the early game and they should play, you know, and they should play a day you want, they should play on Saturday. And it just never worked out that way because of graduation and stadium availability and everything like that. But that would be another thing that I want to make sure that the, the committee looks at down the road. Two of the first round games are going to be rematches, and we could see a, a couple more rematches. I, I grew up in an era where yeah, there were rematches all through high school and college, like every playoff <laughs> game is a rematch. You've coached in them uh, at all levels. What is most critical uh, in rematch games? Well, I always felt in rematch games that the team that lost had a slight advantage because 
they realize they have to make changes. And it's hard for the team that won to make changes because they already won. You know, now there are some things when you win, you say, well, they hurt us on this, so we could spend a lot of time working on that. But I always felt like the team that was that lost makes more changes than the team that wins. So in that situation, uh, now it may be they lost because they weren't good enough and they weren't, you know, they, they couldn't handle whatever you had, but you have to seriously take a look at it and try to figure out, you know, you got to have plan A, plan B, plan C, but. That's what I was, yeah, that's what I was, that was, I was going to ask you about that. So the, the assumption that, hey, we, we used the one four on extra man last time and it worked great. Let's do it again. Uh, that, 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 that's fool's gold, isn't it? Because they've, they've put their time in it. So when you sit down with your staff that week, do you say, okay, if you were the opponent, what would you be changing uh, this, this time around? Yeah, there's no question. I, I, I was very fortunate at Maryland. I had Dave Slavkowski and I thought Dave's one of Dave's biggest strengths besides player relations was that he always had an idea. He was way ahead of what the opponent would try to do to us. He always had a great plan. He said, uh, you know, last time we played, they did it, they're going to invert us, you know? And so, you know, but he had a good idea of what teams do. And, you know, these staffs, they make, you know, they're making a lot of money nowadays. They got a lot of film, much more film than we had in our day. You know, you'd only get the last two films when you get into the NCAA tournament. Now you go and huddle and you get the whole season. Uh, but, I think, you know, these guys, and now you have, you know, you have the video guys that have already cut every film of every team that's in a tournament. So there's a big advantage to the scouting nowadays than it was last year. But I, I just think, Quentin, like you say, I think you, you have to have multiple plans ready to go. It's amazing. You know, Dave, the best defensive coordinators I know in college football, uh, Jim Knowles, who's at Oklahoma State and is now at Ohio State, and Kevin Steele. The first thing they do is the psychology. The first, they, they, they spend so much time with the psychology of this matchup. Like, what are they going to try to do to us? Uh, it, it usually starts, and, and they're trying to gauge the play caller on the other team, uh, his mindset before they deal with the, with the X's and, and, and the O's. Uh, Maryland, you've, you've, you've got a, you had a chance to watch them play this year. I've just been blown away by, by what we're seeing on offense in terms of people movement, ball movement. They never settle for a bad shot. Uh, I wouldn't say they're patient because they're always attacking. Uh, they're, they're all, but they're always trying to improve. Uh, I, I can't tell you the last time I saw, saw a team take so few poor shots. And no one's made them uncomfortable. Uh, I don't think teams have really tried to. I haven't seen much zone or shutoff or wrinkles because uh, I don't, I'm not sure why, but it's, it's, been, it's been devastating to watch. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, John and his staff – and the players have done an unbelievable job. They, they early in the year when you watched them play, and it was before the Virginia game, I felt that I haven't seen a team move that well off ball in a long, long time. And where Bobby was in his second year this year, you could see him putting his, you know, his fingerprints all over some change, just subtle changes, you know, that he and John have obviously agreed to, you know, like uh, Penn State used to be three years ago, four years ago, Penn State was the king of when they got you hung up, you know, now, now Maryland's right where you can see when they hang up an attack and they're in a five man cutting motion and everything like that. So they added the hung offense. They, they added a few of Bobby's set plays, but they're off ball movement. And, and they don't really, you know, right now when you watch Maryland, you don't see a weakness, you know, the goalie's solid. 
I think at one time during the season, Quint, you would know better than I. I think after eight games, they were shooting 37% as a team. They, they, they went as high as 41% at one point this year. They've hovered right around 40. That, I've never seen I've never. I think there was only one other team that in, in modern day that was even close to that. I think it was a Brown team. That went when maybe when Lars was there, they yeah, shot that was a, that was transition based shooting percentage, which which yep. is going to be higher than you know. Maryland gets uh, that's the other thing. This team's very very strong in transition, off of restarts and saves. They get out, they hit you with that trailer break. It's uh, it's beautiful lacrosse. It really is. It is, and 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 you can tell that a couple of years ago, John made a decision that he wanted to start playing a little faster, and the shot you know without the shot clock he didn't have to. But now with the shot clock, because they're, they're rolling a lot of guys out that are pretty good players, you know, they want to get their depth into the game and they are playing much faster. And that is, you know, they're dangerous extra man. They're, they're very good there. They're a great shooting team. They're a great transition team. They're solid defensively. They've got a great scheme. Jesse's done a tremendous job defensively and they're good in the goal and they win faceoffs. You know, the, that's the, you know, hopefully that's a championship team because they, they have played heads and toes better than everybody else in the cross. This last thing, Coach, this tournament, uh, no Notre Dame, no Duke, no Johns Hopkins, no Syracuse. Uh, an opportunity for some of these programs, these emerging and smaller programs like a BU, Richmond, St. Joe's. Uh, you know, Rutgers last year made the quarterfinals, but uh, they, I don't think they've ever been to championship weekend. Harvard with Jerry Byrne is on the improve. Uh, Ohio State and Cornell. So opportunity here. What is it like? You, you took a Loyola program from nothing and, and – and, played for a national championship uh what's it like for these 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 programs that don't have the track record who, that are that are trying to make this run maybe for the first or second time well you know i, I wish we would have won a championship that would, i'd probably be a better guy to ask to but uh i would say that you today coaches and programs do a better job with the mental game of it than we used to do a long time ago. They're really, you know, they've got mental coaches, they've got videos, they've got, they're really doing a good job. So it doesn't become bigger than the, the game doesn't become any bigger than it should. So I, that has been one of the biggest improvements I have seen in college across is the ability to coach the mental game and that the college coaches today not only do a great job of coaching the X's and O's, but they coach the mental game. And with that, you know, they hire guys to come help them the message, it, it becomes on point, that it's just playing in the game and, and being who we are and out hustling our opponent and being tougher than our opponent. So I, I today, you know, you, by watching the NCAA basketball, you see a lot of big 15, 12 through 15 winning. I think it's, it's probably not easier because I think basketball has the three-point shot. You know, yeah, if yeah, yeah. Who's ever gets the two-point shot, you'll probably see a lot more 12 to 15 what would be your, what would be your biggest uh, piece of advice to, to the athletes uh, and the teams competing in this first round in terms of dealing with uh, the outside world and, and showing up and, and being hungry and having a chip? Uh, just, you know, when we talk to younger teams right now, we talk about this. There's going to be a lot of people that have never seen you play. And this will be the first time that they get to see the team in whatever color uniform, the white uniform play. When this game's over, I want them to think that this white team, I have never seen a team hustle on and off the field, fight for ground balls, sprint to each other, and hug each other when great plays are made. And if you take care of all those little things, 
the the plays take care of themselves. I think they got they've got to just be they got to win their matchup. They got to be tougher than their opponent, and they got to outwork their opponent. And you see a lot of teams doing that nowadays. Coach Cottle, thank you so much. Appreciate your expertise. I love your shirt. My five star. If we were on video, I'd be wearing my five star sweatshirt because you look uh, good in that. Well, thank you. And uh, you know, again, we typical thing in lacrosse is to kill the humans. Uh, My take on this is the process needs fixing.